As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, the series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Bithell, current founder at Bithell Games. So join us as you explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. I've uh, it's Monday, so I've just uh, Monday is always a getting day of just week. catching up. Yeah, but it's always just for me. It's always just kind of just checking everyone, checking on everyone, getting everyone set up for the week. So it's always the kind of the busiest day of my week, uh, which is nice. I get a weekend before it, but uh, so I'm a little tired. But other than that, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Actually, I'm I'm keen to pick your brain a little bit about that process. So is that more because obviously you've had. Friday, people have had Friday in the weekend and there might have been some moving pieces in the meantime and it's just taking stock of where we're at. Is that mostly yeah, what, what you're discussing? Yeah, usually it's just setting things in motion. So we have, I, I think, yeah, so it's first of all, it's exactly what you're saying is like with, with creative people, you know, even when you're even when you're away on your weekend, you're still kind of bouncing things around your head and maybe someone's had a cool idea over the yep. weekend for what we're doing um, or like has had a change of heart and wants to change up something. The other thing is we work, um, like a lot of game studios, in kind of a sprint structure. So we work kind of in two-week chunks and those start on Mondays. So yep. every other Monday we have to start, you know, a big sprint, which effectively is just a big chunk of work where everyone on the team kind of agrees to like a chunk of things they're going to try and get done in the next two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of organization and stuff like that. But yeah, it's good. And it's just kind of often, usually it's just kind of everyone on the team wants to start on some stuff and it's just kind of juggling how we get that done and who needs what and how we get everything in the way we want and stuff. So yeah, it's fun. Interesting. That's Yeah, that's quite cool. Hmm. And we, we've jumped into the real inside of how you do your work very, you very quickly this one. So go, maybe, yeah. maybe I'll jump straight to the intro. This is Dev Diaries, so you talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. But Mike, before we get to your actual exploits in the industry, which I guess we've technically already started to do. Sorry, I've like derailed the entire format. No, no. I apologize. <laughs> oh, I've ruined no, it from the outset. Uh, We're already... Carry on. Sorry, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but before we get to some of your exploits in the industry and and some of that day-to-day these days i wanted to rewind a little bit to your time before you actually started creating games and maybe focus mm. on the consumption of them prior oh, do yeah. you remember what your first game was that you played or some of the first games were that you played probably for me we didn't so we didn't have many games in the house when i was a kid my parents ironically were worried that i'd waste my time on video games which obviously is has, has really worked out well for them um but now so who's laughing now who's laughing ha 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 um but like so so most of my memories my really young memories of playing games is always like at a mate's house so i re- i remember playing i remember having i had one friend who was obsessed with sonic so he had the sega so i went and played sonic around his i i know i had like um some some other friends who were into their nintendo so that's i associate mario so i kind of remember and and link each kind of major video game console of my childhood with like a different mate who to had that console yeah um so it was kind of so that that was early i had I think the first kind of gaming I did on kind of something I owned myself was um, was PC gaming. Was playing a lot of shareware stuff. Um, so anything I could get my hands yep. on, uh, a lot of early Apogee stuff, and kind of you know, 
Doom like everyone else, but also like Hocus Pocus and those kind of things. Um, or um, Commander Keen, uh, those kind of games. And then just kind of slowly but surely kind of getting into... I think the first console I owned was a Dreamcast, um, which obviously didn't kind of last very long. And then from there I was Interesting hooked. story, that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so then, then I was hooked. So then, then it was every console from that point on I, I ended up playing on and, and, and owning. So yeah, it was it was definitely kind of a, a thing that was kind of off in the distance for like my, my very, my, you know, when I was very young, but then as a teenager got some of my own income and was started playing and buying consoles and, and that was great. Did you have any particular franchises or even standalone games that you really attached yourself to? Any particular loves as you were growing up? I remember, like, once I got into it, I remember playing Metal Gear Solid, and that was... I think Metal Gear Solid's the first thing I can remember being, like, a proper fan of. Like, I definitely played and liked other games, but that was definitely the first one where I became, like, I must know everything about this franchise, you know. And I got in a little late. I was second, sorry? Oh, I've heard that one before. That Metal Gear has that. Power I think it invites people. it. I think it invites. It. I think there's something about that game for sure. I think it's definitely like a kind of, um, uh, I guess, a depth or a weirdness to it as well. As well, I was I was kind of a sheltered kid. I hadn't seen like much anime or anything. So like, mechs and and like all of those kind of anime influences that were in there. Yeah, you wanted to. You wanted to learn more. Yeah, I just I was I had my I had my little teenage brain blown up, and it was it was great. And I was I remember playing it on a PC, which like was the worst platform for the original Metal Gear. So they did a PC port, and it just <laughs> did not work at all. Um, and and that was kind of my way into it. And I remember like me and my mates like really obsessively waiting for Metal Gear Solid Two to come out. You know, the one friend who bought Zone of the Enders, so we could all play the demo that was on that disc and stuff. And that you know, so I, I do remember that's the one I remember like being obsessed with as a kid being uh, utterly into and, and you know still obviously loving Hideo Kojima stuff to this day yeah he's still doing a fantastic job was there a game that you identified all or, or you know one particular moment you really identify as being a, a trigger point for you potentially pursuing game development yourself obviously you've been mm. you've been tinkering with games in various capacities for a long time sure. um, contrary to you know maybe your parents and their thoughts uh, as we discussed earlier but was do, was there a game at all that you really identify as being this uh, I want to get into this. I don't want to just consume mm. and play. I'd, I'd like to create. Sort of I think, mind. yeah, I think, I think the one, the one that I really remember, like having that thought. I think it was the first time it occurred to me that a human being had made the game was um, Shenmue. I think Shenmue was the first where I was like, "This is yeah. trying to. They're trying to tell me something here. They're trying to tell a story. They're trying to like they they've got there's a plan." This, I think, up till that point, I I think now gamers are way more aware of kind of where games come from and, and what the process of making them is and all this stuff. But back then, like you know, it was just a thing that existed on a computer and was kind of this mysterious thing. And I, for some reason, I I picked up on. I must have like seen uh, an interview in a magazine or a mate must have told me. But I, I I knew the name of the director of it. I knew there was a team who'd made it. I knew for some reason I was aware that Shenmue was like the most expensive game ever made or something like that. Like I just became aware that there was like an industry behind that game and a kind of a process and a yeah, team. Yeah. Um, and that that was kind of that immediately I wanted to do that like immediately I wanted to work on it. I didn't know what I didn't know how they were made I, I actually originally kind of got into animation because I thought well they're animations right they're kind of they're cartoons you can interact with so I kind of got into that side but then as I went through I realized okay game design is probably what I actually want to be doing like creating the game thinking about what, how the game's fun and how to make it interesting games that was kind of my yeah. my big thing um, but yeah, yeah I'd say to learn about the other disciplines 
yeah, just get demystify it, right? Just get a sense of it being a real, you know, quote unquote, real thing for sure. Oh, that's that's an that's an awesome awesome moment really to have and and discover these things and obviously yeah as you said you know most expensive game ever at the time and all those sorts of things like they're handy little doorways into what's actually going on in the background yeah yeah i think that was that was yeah you you do i don't know i assume i think most game developers actually do i bet you ask that question a lot and i i bet you get good interesting answers on it because i think it's one of those things that lots of people remember just because it was kind of a a mind-blowing experience to them at a young age like all this people that make these things yeah, certainly get a lot of fascinating answers to that particular question because mm. of exactly what you just said. So how did things actually get rolling from there? Where, where did those first opportunities pop up? I've obviously got Blitz games uh, listed there and we're going to talk about some of those titles uh, shortly <laughs> and then yeah. obviously all of your all of your work since then. But how did, how did that ball get rolling? Where, where did you kind of go to start exploring what you could do in this space? Well, I started playing, so I was, I, I remember, so so my dad worked in IT, so we had, like, computers around from quite a young age that you'd nick from work for us to play with. Um, probably the Statue of Limitations has passed on that, hopefully. Uh, he'd steal computers for me, um, but he'd steal computers from work and we'd play on them, and I remember, like, learning, like, QBasic and kind of some ver- visual basic and kind of some scripting very early on, um, and just playing with what coding was and how that worked. So that was, I think, when it became a thing that I understood the basics of. And then and then I went to uni. I got a degree in computer game design, um, which is a weird thing to go and get, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Like, it was it was a point in UK history where university was relatively cheap, especially for people like myself who are from a background where we Not could today. get lots of state support. Yeah, good stuff. Um, we were lucky to do. Uh, so I went and did that, and then, yeah, as you say, went, went to Blitz. But I guess I was just always tinkering with computers, and I, I was lucky enough to have enough kind of... Uh, teachers and people around who who kind of encouraged me to try and kind of made very impressed noises when they saw my absolutely crap kind of childhood computer coding. I've actually got up on the shelf behind me. I've got a, a floppy disk with one of my first games, which was a it was like a point and click adventure game uh, about feudal England. And I made it to kind of um, for a for a history class that I couldn't. I didn't really want to That's write cool. an essay for. Yeah, but my history teacher was... I went up to my history teacher. I, I, I must have only been like 13 or so years old. And I remember, and, and I went up to this, this history teacher and said like, hey, instead of an essay, can I submit a game? And and she was like, how would I play it? And I said, well, we, we could go up to the, the computer... You know, at that point, there were like three computers in the school. We could go up to one of the school computers and I could... You could play it and you could like look at it. And fair play to that teacher who must have thought I was an absolutely weird child absolutely just immediately said yeah of course let's do that and that I remember that teacher kind of sitting very politely and watching me play this point and click adventure game and she was checking to make sure that you know yep he, he knows that this thing about history Address is the criteria. And, yeah he's, he's he's mentioned these three things that every student has to mention but stuff like that I think was I was very lucky to have those kind of teachers and those kind of people around me to kind of encourage me to be a bit weird with it um at a time where this wasn't a profession that anyone really understood or that, that there was really a school system in place to kind of pipeline to kind of get students into as a as a as a career um nowadays i imagine that's there's probably a lot more teachers like that who know video games and are into video games and are able to help students who are into yeah that i stuff. mean we were discussing before the recording and I, everyone who listens to the show now is probably sick to death of me talking about the fact that i'm a teacher like they've heard it almost mm. every episode but uh <laughs> we were obviously discussing beforehand that i'm a teacher and i mean that to, to your point there and you know to having teachers that kind of understand 
games or maybe even mm. in some cases understand a bit about the industry as well. Though I've, I've dealt with a few students over the journey that, and actually one that I can think of even right now that I'm dealing with this year who wants to, one in particular I should say, there might be others that are umming and ahhing and still making decisions because they're kids. Sure. But um, that is his intent next year is to get into game design somehow and we, mm. we've, we've had a few conversations about in recent weeks about how he might do that he's in his final year of school so they're starting to make all those sorts of decisions and and he had this moment he goes oh hang on you you know people in this space like, <laughs> clever kid you've spoken to people in this space like can you like what, what what can we do here like what you know tell me tell me everything you know and i mean i i I've learned a lot, even just from doing this show, you know, and learning some ins and outs and those sort of things. But I could, you couldn't put me in front of a computer and expect me to make a game at that point. Like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a long way from anything like that. But the networking side is like, okay, who, who would I need to speak to in order to, you know? And I was able to give him a few names after, you know, checking with them that they were happy first. Sure. Um, give him a few names and say, look, here's some people that you can chat to if you want to learn more, if you want to understand mm-hmm. what pathways are available to you, go for it. And and there's a decent I mean, amount of industry in Australia, ago. right? There's a there's a decent yeah. amount of game developers in Australia as well who would be super into helping. Yeah, the the Melbourne scene in particular is kind of the yeah. the hot spot within Australia. So um, to kind of have that in my backyard, basically, and to know a few people in that space via you know this show and conventions and just natural mm-hmm. things that emerge has been fantastic, and it's great that within my day to day pay job, I'm able to wedge that in there and help guide some of these students that want to go down that path towards people that can possibly help them and it's been nice that one of my first guests on this show was actually a former student who um had gotten into games as well so it's it's been a nice satisfying thing that i can kind of bring that to my my day-to-day paid employment and it's it's i think it's good for everyone if they can have that sort of regardless of whether they want to get, get into games or not that supportive force around there that okay this is not how i wanted you to present this history information but Let's see if we can make it work somehow. Go for it. Do you know? Do what inspires you. And yeah, those figures are important for sure. For sure. And it's so cool that there's your generation of teachers who who know all this stuff and grew up with this stuff. And that's that's very cool for your students for sure. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they they keep going. It's 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 going really well. So we mentioned Blitz. How did that opportunity first pop up? You'd obviously been dabbling a little bit, and you know all the background there that we just discussed. But how did that opportunity first arise to to go work at a games developer? Um, so it was it was it was kind of it was I think like a lot of stories. I, I basically I graduated uni, um, and I'd made like a little student game, you know, like you make a student film, just a little platformer called um, Reunion. I think there's videos of it still online. It wasn't very good. It was about a sleepwalking kid and his cat, and it yep. was it was this weird little game, and I'd made that. And then uh, a couple of people who'd been in the year above me in uni were already working at Blitz, and they, without me knowing, posted a video of that onto like the internal forum at the at work. And then, because it was a game studio, and because game developers are opinionated and brilliant, hundred not hundreds, fifty odd kind of replies to this this post on their internal forum was like, right. "This game, this game looks rubbish." This doesn't work. This doesn't work. You can't see how that's working. He's put the power up in the wrong place. That jump looks unsatisfying uh, because of X, Y, Z and all of this stuff. And then these these two sent me that feedback and I made updates to the game and re-released it with all of those pieces of feedback, which obviously none of the developers were expecting to actually be done. And then that got sent around the forums and I got essentially a job interview off of that and basically was told, 
came in and was told by the the person interviewing of like, well, you you made something cool. You then listened to our feedback and fixed it and made it better. Um, that's basically all we want you to do for a job here. Do you want to come work here? That was essentially it. Was just because they'd seen that I could listen to the feedback. That's and, fantastic. And that was enough that that they 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 wanted me. Um, and I went in as just junior designer and kind of yeah worked my way up the ranks there um, over the years. But yeah, yeah it was so, a really oh, yeah, cool yeah, opportunity. You got in as a- yeah, you got in as a junior designer, obviously did a fair bit of level design too, working mm-hmm. on the likes of TAC, uh, iCarly, yeah. Dead to Rights Retribution, and one that um, was one of the first 3D TV games, as I, as I recall, uh, in Invincible Tiger. The Legend of Handau, yes. Um, uh, not great. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I quite like that game. Um, yeah, no, we worked on a few things, and... and yeah, it was it was a really good lesson. It was an interesting time in the UK dev scene because it was just this kind of um, essentially we were cheap Americans. That was basically what we were. Um, so what that meant was there was just yeah, a right. lot. There was a lot of work for us because essentially uh, this was before all the Canadian tax breaks that made Canadians cheap Americans. As Brits, we were cheap Americans. Yeah. We we knew enough about the American culture that they trusted us with their their IPs. So it was a studio that was making like four or five games at a time. Um, largely licensed games, largely that stuff. It was the time the, the Wii was happening. Xbox Live Arcade was kind of making these smaller games possible. It's a really interesting, tumultuous time in games, um, and it was a nice space to walk into and kind of start to learn the trade, and just kind of yeah, just learn from lots of very very clever people basically. Yeah, it sounds a lot like what the Australian industry was like at the time. I mean, even you just kind of using that trigger word, the Wii, like that was that was a lot <laughs> yeah. of development was at the time. It was, you know, working on licensed titles or ports or any of those sorts of things. Yep. Out Party here, the, games. The global and... financial crash kind of nipped the growing industry in the bud at that particular point. It took a long time to recover. And that's where mm. we've got this indie scene that we discussed before now that's, just, that's really thriving in that space. But um, it sounds like very similar sort of system or background at the time so it was it was, what was that like for you though as you've as you as you've taken these these learnings and you know uh even just that feedback that you received before you're actually working at blitz what was that like as you actually now entered a studio and you're working alongside others and you know it wasn't you on your own it was you as a part of a team what was what was that like for you Ter- terrible terrible absolutely hated it it was um well no i i was i i, I liked it but i was not very good and I also, I think, and this is true of a lot of people when when they describe their first job of anything, like, I was just a bit cocky. I was absolutely kind of, I was a nightmare, I think. Like, I look back, I've, I've even talked to people who, like, I worked with back then who were like, we all absolutely hated you. Like, you were, a, <laughs> you, like, you were absolutely, oh, no. you, were, you were such a jerk. No, I, but it's, and you know what? It was reasonable. It was a fair reaction. I was, I was just this kind of cocky kid who, like, was convinced I knew exactly how to save the games industry. Of course I didn't. I was an idiot. Um, and I and I had to kind of learn how to work with people and how to be kind of a collaborator and all those things. Um, and it's it's funny looking back, but yeah, I think I think I <laughs> I learned a lot of lessons the hard way at that job um, at Blitz, and 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 came out much better for it. And I think that was that was a step more so even than like the technical stuff. I think that was the job where I kind of learned to be an adult and learned to kind of you know work yeah. respectfully with people. Um, and then also to be honest as well, you know worked. 
on a bunch of different teams for a bunch of different bosses and definitely got like my own ideas of like oh i, I don't want to be like this boss or I, I actually like those things that boss does or you know and kind of i, I got kind of a tasting menu of kind of different management styles i worked for you listed them off quite yep. a few games in a very short period of time and it just meant i got to learn a lot about how i guess what kind of boss or director i wanted to be and i didn't think i was going to be running a game studio as quickly as i ended up doing but i knew i was kind of gathering that kind of awareness for you know down the building road. the toolkit yeah 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 that's that i mean that's still really valuable but i guess mm. what what's super interesting to me is that at the same time as you know working in full full-time paid role there at a studio you were also dabbling in a little bit of solo work and that's where in a phenomenal 24 hours the the first or the genesis of what became thomas's alone formed during that period as well what was that like um for you on on that day-to-day where you're working your full-time employment and then you're going home and and continuing on your own ideas and your own projects mm. like how, how were you managing that at the time i honestly don't know looking back i think i was just young i think i was the main one i i kind of i, I pottered so i went home like and i think a lot of game devs do this we have kind of our i know lots of people who, who who work for me now kind of have exactly the same thing they have like their their little hobby games they make on their spare time they're yep. experimenting with ideas they think are interesting you're not necessarily thinking any of them are going to turn into this massive thing but you also are just kind of until just they practicing do. until they do right yeah of course um so I was kind of doing that. I was pottering around. I was working on little prototypes with friends, kind of making weird stuff, just to kind of just to just to see if we could really more than anything. I was also kind of looking at there was the indie scene was starting up in the UK, and it was kind of I was definitely looking enviously at those folks who didn't have bosses who were just doing yeah. whatever they wanted. And I was like, that seems interesting. That sounds like a cool way of working. Um, I think the big thing was my my partner um, works in the animation industry, and she travels a lot for that. You know, will go go away for a job for a chunk of time. And she got a job like yeah. that, and she basically kind of went away for a while, and and I basically had suddenly all of this free time on my hands. And I think that was honestly kind of where Thomas Alone came from. Was basically I just had yeah, okay. I had to develop a hobby, you know. After you know bothering my mates for a couple of nights a week and kind of going out with a friend at the weekend on a Saturday, I still had all of this free time. Um, and I kind of I've always been I've always been someone who enjoys making stuff more than playing or watching stuff. So I kind of just started messing with it and as you said the first thing was just a 24-hour game jam just messing around um it was terrible but then once once i'd finished it i I kind of liked that idea of kind of taking that slightly bad game jam and iterating on it and fiddling building on it yeah and seeing seeing where using it as a way of kind of learning how to do things properly basically learning how to program properly which i'd not i'd kind of fallen out of step with learning how to you know make lots of levels you know just lots of stuff that my day job kind of didn't allow me to back then level designer yeah especially junior level designer like i was you weren't you weren't building lots of content you were building a very small amount of content very slowly you know it's weird talking to new devs where like a nav mesh is a button in unity whereas when i was doing it we had to make those by hand you know pointing you know putting each vertex into the scene and, and, and building that up those kind of jobs you just it was it was it was much more boring job to be a level designer basically than it is now where you can kind of get something on its feet very quickly and start seeing if it's working. Um, so it was also a way of kind of just playing with those ideas in my spare time. But it still took about three years to make. You know, it was not a it's not a quick project. Thomas was alone, especially when you look at like how simple it is visually. It was just very. It was made very slow. There's a lot behind the scenes. But but it was just very slow. I didn't have much time, so I was working on it. You know, an hour yeah. or two a day. You know, for for three years. And I think that 
in a way, I think that makes it a better game because it does just let you sit with every idea. And it was like like we were talking right at the start about kind of the the ideas that happen at the weekend when you're not working. I was yes. having that time to kind of churn over ideas and kind of come back to my desk with a really good idea for something I wanted to add to the game. I think that probably benefited it. That's fantastic. What was it that you saw? Like, so you've, you've done your 24-hour game jam. You've come up with mm-hmm. a final product. When you looked at that Thomas alone in the, in the state that it was then, what what was it that you were seeing in terms of potential? Uh, and I guess we, we know obviously what it finally became and it's a fantastic title. And um, I mean, my, my best mate, I told him that we were going to be chatting today and and he Thomas alone is a game that he's just beside himself over. He he lost his mind when he said that we were going to be chatting and uh, oh, that's cool. Had a whole bunch of questions like how, like he wanted to ask things like uh, how how is it, how do you feel you know making a game that's better than Lord of the Rings and all those come on now come on now that's that's a little it, maybe the Hobbit maybe it's better than Hobbit sincere. I maybe the I'll take the Hobbit I think it's better than, <laughs> I think it's better than Peter Jackson's Hobbit but. It's not bad at Lord of the Rings. I'll pass that on to him. We'll pass the final product on to him. I'm sure he'll be thrilled that I've read it. I imagine, but but uh, surely that's quite a heightened, uh, heightened heightened, uh, thing in the uh, Antipodean world that you kind of don't want to. Can I criticize Lord of the Rings on the show? Is that okay? Made on your on your doorstep. Yeah, well, um, I'll I'll leave it with him to decide everything there. And yeah, (laughs) look, it's it's close close enough. Uh, There's still a little bit of a rivalry between the Australians and New Zealanders that we can throw a little bit of dirt. Is it? Okay, so the the rivalry there, you know, is over the is 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 more important than the Australasian kind of connection. Like you'd say, the, the you're fighting yeah, I mean, more than you're pulling together. Yeah, I mean to to dive into world news for a moment. I guess just when when they think they're getting out on top, when it comes to COVID, we someone from New South Wales decides to go across and ruin it all on them. So <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the the state that we're in at the moment, and I guess the the rivalry continues even in a pandemic. So. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Sorry to anyway, any New Zealanders that are listening that I've maybe upset a little bit by making that reference to what's going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what was it that you were seeing in the project at that time? You thought, okay, this I can still work with this. I can do more with this. What was it about it at that time? Um, so, so I think initially it was just like, this seems like an easy game to kind of start porting and figuring out like how to make this in a real game engine. That was like from the flash game. That was kind of, I was like, this feels like I could actually make this. I think the, I think what happened was locally, and this is true. I think of lots of indie indie developers will recognize this story. Like I started taking it to like events and things and people would play it and they get it and they get really into it. And they, they kind of tell me it was great. And I think that kind of community, kind of aspect the kind of taking it to an event i remember like i remember being really sick actually with a cold and taking my entire pc um halfway up the country to a games festival to kind of demonstrate the game and you know on on the train you know <laughs> in economy kind of clamped into a corner and i remember doing that and and taking it up there and then just seeing you know rows of kids playing it and having fun with it and i think that that was a real boost that kind of showed me like oh there's maybe an audience who'd like this um maybe there's people maybe there's a couple of people out here who'd actually check it out and and i remember at the time just because i had a you know i had a comfortable job i wasn't like you know looking to get rich there was no rush no well it was just it wasn't it wasn't like this doesn't need to be a mega hit so i remember we were looking at it and I, i remember saying to my girlfriend like i think this will make like it'll it'll probably pay for like a holiday like and that was genuinely the objective when we launched the game was like that's it's going to go on one of it and at the time was Desura, which was because i couldn't get it on steam no one on steam wanted it 
Um, that was back when it was much harder to get on Steam. So put it on Desura, and maybe it sells 100 copies, and that's a grand, and then that can go towards a holiday or something. And it'll be a nice thing and a nice yeah. way of, you know, paying back the amount of, of my time I've put into this. And, like, I'll have a nice holiday. Um, and then, obviously, it just it did kind of life-changing business. And that was that was the moment where it, where it became something very different but yeah the, the, the goal genuinely was just this is a this is a hobby that maybe has like a little bit of monetization we can do we can we can pay for a holiday buy a new computer maybe you know those kind of things that was de- definitely the objective so fair to say it was pretty much exclusively that feedback that you were getting that maybe prompted you to do more with it or did you still have some ideas obviously 24 hours and we know like we know how a lot of game jams work there's a lot of ideas going into it but you kind of have to cherry pick the the core ones to, sure. to ensure that you ha- come up with a final product did you already have some of these ideas in your head for what you could do with it or was it really only that feedback that you received afterwards and seeing people you know playing it and and learning from those responses that prompted you to do what you ultimately did with the final product I think I think the I think I don't think the I don't think the game jam was compromised. Like I don't think the game jam was like less than what I wanted to make. It was a very simple game. Um it was ironically it was actually I wanted to make a game about two characters connected with a rope and I realized that the rope was the tricky yep. bit so I just made a game about two characters who could jump different heights because that seemed easier. Um and that became what the game jam was. So it was already the game jam was kind of a cut down version of a different idea and then what happened was honestly playful like it was I, I i started building it it was specifically actually um i just moved to london um and i went to the first um unity user group which was this new engine unity yep. that, that they were trying to you know trying to get people playing with and my first thomas alone project the thomas alone file still on my computer is called teaching myself unity like that's the name of the folder because it really was just cool. well let's take this idea that was quite good and people liked it on on congregate let's let's use that and just kind of see if i can make that in unity and when it turned out reasonably interesting in unity just kind of adding to that iterating on it tweaking it but it never it wasn't ever really a plan or a grand quest it was just i'll be fun if i added water to it or it'd be fun if i made it that there was a character who could double jump or i wonder if it would be yes this or that you just add steps incrementally i think the moment the first choice i made that was more about it being a kind of a quote-unquote commercial product than it being just kind of a hobby experiment was um was doing voiceover and music because i basically planned to just use some stock music or get like you know a mate's band to play me something very simple i could just have on a loop underneath it like i wasn't really thinking about it being a serious thing and then um and the, the story was all going to be kind of text coming up in the levels. I was going to have like, you know, this, it was, very, it was very fashionable at the time, these kind of motion typography things. Like I think Splinter Spell, yeah, Splinter yeah, Spell Conviction yeah. had done it. Yeah. And it was like every game was doing that. So I was like, okay, the world's going to have like text come up and, and, and flow around the scene. And I started doing that. I built all the tech to do that. But then I realized all my level design sucked because I was trying to fit it around the text that was happening on screen. Um, yeah, so right. I thought, oh, voiceover will be easier. And... I think that was like the process of like, okay, I should get voiceover. Okay, probably need to be like professional quality voiceover. Okay, am I seriously going to spend money on this? Is this a commercial thing? And and that was that was the changeover moment for me of it becoming quote unquote a real game. Um, but yeah, yeah, so iterative. What, I mean, millions millions of sales later, BAFTAs, all sorts of accomplishments stemming from that game. Was it exclusively Thomas that prompted you to leave Blitz in the end? 
So I hadn't. So I'd, I'd, I'd actually already left Blitz. So there's a there's a company in the middle here in the flow. Oh, so I, yeah, I, sorry, yeah, there's a little bit of overlap. Yeah. So there was. So I was working at Blitz when I made the initial thing. Then I sorry, went. Bossa, right? It was Bossa. Yeah, I was a Bossa for a few years. So I made the bulk of the game when I was a Bossa. Um, and yeah, I, they were working on at the time. They're now known for the Surgeon Simulator games, which are excellent. Um, yep. But at the time, they were making a lot of social games, a lot of like that face those Facebook games and kind of the early mobile games. And I wasn't super into those, but yep. I was designing those for them. So I think it was a combination of like I want to make like console and PC games, um, and also yes, this game had done well enough. It took me a while to quit. Like I didn't quit immediately. It definitely was only when Thomas Malone like had sold so many copies that it was silly for me to kind of continue working at another company when my side project was like making much more money significantly Um, larger yeah yeah so i I remember going into the meeting with my boss and him saying wow it took you way longer than we all expected like apparently they were all betting on exactly how long it would take me to quit based on like all the coverage the game was getting and the the sales and stuff um so so i I don't think it was a surprise to anyone and and i quit then um but yeah it, it it was mainly honestly just the opportunity i'm definitely someone who tries to um take advantage of opportunities when they come along like and i i think this was one of those things yeah. where it wasn't meant to be that it wasn't meant to be a grand escape or a hit it was but it once it happened it felt like i had to i had to go for it i had to try and i think that's been kind of a constant thing for me is just you know wanting to have the stories for the pub in my retirement like i want to be able to say I'm, i went for it and it's you know exactly the same stuff has led into most of our other decisions with, with future games as well um like just yeah why not because it's funny to be able to go down the pub and say oh i did this or we tried this or we went for it it definitely appeals to me more than not going for it yeah i mean it's always better to take that risk and well, I won't, sorry, I shouldn't say always. It's not always better. <laughs> More often than not, it's it. it you know, you, you take stock of everything. You try and make the most informed decision you can. But it's it's always nice when you do take that that step and it works. And it absolutely and, worked in your case. And it's worth saying that it's worth saying that you know there is definitely a survivor's bias here. Is like there's I've said it many times. Yeah. Like with Thomas was alone. You know that was evenings and weekends for three years. I worked on that. If that game had come out and bombed then it's just a story of a guy who wasted away like you know three of the you know three of the best years of his life on something that didn't go anywhere like it's definitely like it's easy to just listen to the success stories and go oh well that's what's going to happen but this is i am still a very very like lucky bastard basically and that should be cat factored into the process um so yeah so i think you're right to point that out for sure um it's it's just when you know i've i've definitely yeah i've definitely always had the attitude of like you know i started with nothing i can finish with nothing as well i'm gonna go for the i'm gonna go for the fun place what's interesting is as i've grown older and now i'm responsible for other people and i have a company and employees it does shift gears to like okay now i have to be a grown-up and look after people because you 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 know your responsibilities grow beyond yourself but definitely at that moment it was just let's go for it why not you know i don't want to i don't want to wonder what would have happened yeah so you obviously spoke about how your management was kind of taking bets as to when you were ultimately going to to quit (laughs) for you when you made that decision did you already have the idea in mind for what was next at that stage which ultimately ended up becoming volume or or the next project ultimately ended up becoming volume i should say um the next release did you have that idea in mind at that point or or some sort of other idea in mind was it a case of i don't want to go until i know what i'm going to do next or you, no, okay, was, I, there's enough. There's enough here to Thomas. I can I can roll with this and the deal. The deal I made myself was when I had it was a year's salary in the bank. So it was like once once I have once once Thomas has made a year's salary, 
I'm going to take that bet. Like, I'm just going to go at that point and try and spend a year making something. And if it, if nine months in, it's not working out, I can start trying to find another job. Like, I was definitely still thinking in that way. What was weird and what is always the case with video games, or often the case with video games, that first hurdle was very long. It took six months for it to make its first one yep. year of Mike's salary. And then the second year of Mike's salary it made was in the next week. Because by that point it had blown up enough that it was selling yeah, an accelerated rate. Yeah, and that was that was the kind of that was the weirdest part. Was yeah. So at the point where I quit, I had like a year, year and a half, two years in the bank, and I was just honestly, I just figured I had to jump and see what happened. So I didn't have a big plan. I think even then I knew that like I'd always wanted to do a stealth game, and it goes back to the Metal Gear Solid thing from earlier. Like I knew that was a genre as a kid that I dreamt about making my own Metal Gear Solid game. So I kind of I knew I was gonna do something along those lines, I guess. But then, um, but I hadn't no, I, I didn't have some plan already in my head. Like I, I genuinely was just like I remember my my only plan was I have to get a desk because I made Thomas was alone on my lap on a laptop. Um, sorry, on a computer. Yeah, okay. No, it wasn't. No, sorry. Thomas was alone. Was a it was an IKEA bookshelf turned on its side with a computer on top of. So I didn't have oh, you a really desk did at home. Improvise. That's very nice. Yeah, that was literally working with what I had. Was it Besta? Can't remember what kind of what kind of uh, bookcase it was, but it was a IKEA bookcase on its side with a computer on top. Um, so I had to buy a desk. So I, I remember going and buying a desk. I got a wall planner, which I never used. Um, I got like you know notebooks. Don't, don't we always stuff buy I those? With the, the, biggest posit- most positive intentions and it just never <laughs> we just never do it exactly and it's just so all i've of got this- a diary here that i looked at the other day for the first time in six months i realized i saw the little page <laughs> marker and it's back in march i'm like oh okay right now, could best, that be all the lockdowns i've been in i don't know but the best intentions right the best intentions every time and so i so that was honestly that was my biggest plan was like okay i need to go to ikea and buy a desk and then, and then, yeah, sat down and started playing and started fiddling and building, like, okay, so I think it's going to be a stealth game. And at that point, remember, I hadn't made a 3D game yet, so I had to start playing with 3D and, like, okay, how do you do animation yeah. uh, and all these kind of things. Um, and volume, yeah, was the, the kind of the end result of that. But, yeah, that was, like, that was just pure kind of experimentation. Yeah, and, I mean, since since volume kicked off, that's kind of triggered a, a a bit of a whirlwind for you in a lot of respects. The title, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, you built a bit of a team around you, as you, as you mentioned before, having to develop some of those managerial skills yourself and kind of pick and choose elements from what you'd experienced previously to, yeah. to blend into the way your own personal management style. But the games came thick and thin after that. I mean, we're talking about Earthshake, we're talking about Subsurface and Quarantine Circular. We've got John Wick Hex, we've got the Solitaire Conspiracy, North Star Rising, there's... You're probably ongoing projects that you know in the in the background that you're not in a position to discuss at the moment. Like it's been there's been a flurry of titles. Um, what was that like for you? Where you've you've spent now, admittedly, as you said before, it was you know an hour or two a day across yeah, three yeah. years, and obviously now it's your full time thing, so that you've got more time on a daily basis to to work on these. Not to mention employees around you as well. But in terms of you kind of trying to plot things out in your own head. What's it been like contrasting that period there where it was chipping away at the project versus now where there's a direction identified, we've got all these resources we can throw at it we can and we can get in there and the games are coming out at a not not excessively rapid but a, a nice consistent steady pace. Do, do you ever have doubts at any point like oh hang on we're going too fast like are we are we not putting this in the oven for long enough all, yeah. those, all those sorts of things are they concerns regular concerns? 
Um, I think it depends on the game, but I definitely think there are games we've made a bit too fast, like, for sure. I don't want to pick and choose which ones. That feels like insulting your own children, but, like, there's definitely, like, yeah. there's definitely games that we spent the right amount of time on there and the games that we should have spent a little bit longer on, for sure. I think that's definitely something we know, and there are, with, with future things, like I say, there are definitely, like, we're working on a few things right now, and those are going to be in the oven significantly longer um, than, than those things that you just mentioned. So I think... I think there's I think there's lessons there. I wouldn't say I think I think basically every game needs more or less time. So the circulars, for example, are very yep. quick games to make. Like those are I think subsurface was four months, quarantine was was a glamorous seven months, I think we took on that one. But that was mainly just because we had the time so we did. Like it wasn't it didn't really need yep. we could have done it quicker. Um with other games, um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna take, you know, longer. But yeah, I think I think I think that's a lesson. I think we definitely are going to make our future games a little bit slower, for sure. Um, the other thing that's crucially changing now for us as a team is um, we've got a uh, you know, producer, product, project manager internally. We've got multiple teams working on different things now. You know, we, We're kind of scaled up in that way sideways a bit. So it's not yes. all resting on my shoulders, which is... Honestly, I'm usually the biggest bottleneck on the team. Because I insist on doing so much stuff myself that I can kind of like slow things down because everyone's waiting on Mike. Um, so that's that's the. Is big that like a because is that just because you've been, you know, from the beginning, obviously with Thomas alone and and even the the first few titles afterwards, you've obviously been at the helm of this thing. Is it one of those mm. cases where you just you struggle to detach yourself a little bit? You always feel a need, and not necessarily in a bad way. I don't mean it in a bad way, but I'll, there's always a need to get in the weeds and. And you know, be there with people, and kind of—I mean, not that we can peer over shoulders these days, but like virtually, soon, but virtually peer over shoulders. I think it was initially like I think I'd be lying if I said I I didn't have that slight kind of control freak thing going on, like in the kind of volume era, because definitely like when you've—it's very easy when you've had like any kind of success to go well. I guess I'm the cleverest person in the world. Like this works. I guess. (laughs) I guess all those things I always secretly believe might be true about myself are true. I am the hero protagonist <laughs> of the entire universe. There's definitely that thought process, and I think, I think, um, I think that faded after volume because it just did. It just did fade with time, which is nice. And it doesn't fade with everyone with time. There's definitely still uh, zealots many years after their their success. Um, for sure. But the, but the um, no, the 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 biggest thing for me and the thing that I I definitely struggle with and I'm getting I'm getting better at and still struggling with is not actually the leading the big jobs because I definitely have like people around me who I trust to kind of do different parts of our games and and, and yep. make those decisions independently. My biggest problem is I always want to do all the boring things to clear the desks of the very talented right. people I work with. So I I tend to I end up doing like very very repetitive boring tasks very slowly basically that seems to be right, that's, okay. that's, that's been the thing for me is it's it's more that i'm trying to like i know this artist is amazing so i don't want to bother them i want them to be doing the cool stuff and then i'll go and do all the, the boring kind of setting stuff up for them kind of work you inflict the tedium where, on yourself yeah which which is not really that smart and not a very use, good use of my skill set so it's so we're kind of we're pulling away from that and i think that's already with like the future things we're working on right now that's something we kind of fixed in our process a little bit but it's you know that's yeah, still you know always a risk that you go back to bad habits so yeah so that it's more that to be honest but yeah i think we're just getting better at making games as we go we've learned a lot of lessons every game 
kind of teaches you lessons. That's one thing that's great about making lots of things. You know, I think a lot of indie studios, you know, and rightly, they take like five, six years making a game, uh, and they make a brilliant game, um, but then they've only learned the lessons of one dev cycle. Whereas we've shipped so many things in such a short space of time, I think we have just picked up so many interesting lessons and so yeah. many. We've we've learned a lot about how we make stuff, uh, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and it kind of lets us iterate on that process quicker, which makes me feel it feels like a company that's existed a lot longer than it actually has just because all of that knowledge has been kind of internalized all those those lessons those those challenges have been kind of understood so it's cool we're, we're doing some really good stuff now which of course yeah i can't talk about at all but like i think the stuff oh, that's coming out from us is just you know it's really ambitious and, and really kind of cool and, and definitely is pushing us even kind of further into making really interesting work that i'm very proud of so and that's because of the lessons we've learned up to this point which is great yeah i mean it's fascinating obviously yeah every, everyone learns lessons through everything they do and you know in game development that's no different it, mm. it is great to hear that i guess a byproduct of those rapid releases is that when you go through and you reflect on the project you very shortly after get an opportunity to actually act on that it's not something yeah. you have to spend you know two three years before you get to that kind of equivalent stage in the next project to actually do something about as you mentioned you know subsurface and quarantine four and seven months respectively you're back at that particular stage where like okay we didn't necessarily handle this as well as we could have and you're back to that point fairly quickly and you it's still fresh in your mind and you can react and respond and yep and try and, and, alter, and the people who work and the, yeah and the people who worked on it as well can kind of go and go forward so like um guy on my team called nick who's who's awesome you came in as a designer on volume uh, sorry came in as an artist on volume and then wanted to do more design stuff and also wanted to do some code stuff so on Earthshape he did more code and then on john wick he wanted to kind of lead design a little so he became a lead designer on that one with me directing and now he's just finished directing his first project which was uh, arcsmith that just came out with us um so there's that kind of you can also kind of go through careers as well in that time and kind of pick up those skills so it's also about it's not just about us collectively getting better it's about individuals trying to raise up everyone kind of through those processes and and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't but like it can it can lead to really interesting things when you have that kind of uh yeah all of those cycles just just give so many opportunities for people to learn stuff it's great yeah the opportunity to flourish is great and i'm sure you probably see similar sorts of stories to your own in some respects starting to to emerge within the team whether mm-hmm. those projects become enormous like thomas was or you know something like that remains to be seen of course but i'm mm. sure you see some some of these little things going on that must be really inspiring to you as well yeah and also just like things outside of the company as well which is exciting like people working on their own stuff you know we have a couple of team members who are also making their own hobby projects who are also doing the thomas was alone thing on their own time um and that's really cool because that's that's the kind of environment i want to work in is is where people come in with these these kind of they're they're, they're creative outside of the context of the company as well it's not just the pursuit of capital it's it's like it's actually something that they are doing in their own in their own spaces and kind of and doing their own thing and you know maybe <laughs> you know if any of those ideas gets as big as thomas was alone maybe like me they'll come to you know i went to my bosses with thomas was alone and said i think we have to do ports of this and i have no idea how to do that and bossa helped me to do ports and to do that process and i'm hoping that you know somewhere in the future we get to help someone who works for us to do those kind of processes as well um so so it's yeah. it's kind of a bit of a circle of life thing yeah you want you definitely want to you definitely want to help the next generation of game developers succeed from the same kind of avenues that you did yeah 
yeah it's it's yeah. it's the it's, no, it's the right fantastic. thing to do yeah yeah very very quickly picking your brain on john wick how did that ip mm. land in your lap really quickly and easily um that's not true oh okay um no it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> that's that's not an honest description um yeah it was it was a weird one it was um a mate of mine ben um who's who's really cool producer he did uh no man's sky or he was one of many multiple producers but he was a producer on no man's sky producer on hellblade um very just ultra talented used to be a designer now a producer and he me and him just we went to the movies we went to see a film and it's an action film we came out we were just shooting the shit coming out of the film yeah it was good it was fine it wasn't great yeah yeah you know what's good john wick he says and i'm like yeah no i, I love john wick everyone loves john wick he's like what would you what would you do of a game of john wick just, just pulling a question out of thin air i'm like well you know i think i'd i wouldn't do an action i wouldn't do a shooter because you're you're gonna circle strafe it's not gonna feel like john wick i'm like probably it's some kind of strategy game like some kind of turn-based thing maybe just to kind of get you in that mindset of the tactical thought process and he's like could you like put that in a document for me and i was like why he's like well because i just got hired to find some design some game development team to make a john wick <laughs> game because the license is available yeah and he was like and he's like i'm, I'm manipulating you mike it's fine um but it was basically yeah he just had uh he'd, he'd been he'd been approached um through good shepherd uh who who were the publisher and uh, lionsgate to kind of basically go out and find a developer who'd make an interesting John Wick game. Not the obvious, easy kind of third-person shooter, but like something odd, basically. And I guess, you know, my name was on a list somewhere and he kind of, you know, manipulated me. That guy can make odd games, is that... Yeah, I think it. I think it came down to the thing. Is the thing I said earlier of like we we try and be weird, we try and surprise people, we try and surprise ourselves, and kind of, you know, roll the dice, see what happens. And I think I think that mindset was what put us on that those people's radar, and uh, and then yeah, and then it was a case of just kind of going through the process, uh, going to Hollywood, pitching that to everyone, um, you know, showing them a demo, showing them a bunch of documentation, yeah. convincing a bunch of executives in hollywood that we would be able to make a video game uh and some somehow it happened the weirdest thing it it did and the the weirdest thing with hollywood is you go through the process and you never really know if it's real or it never feels real and it was definitely a point where about halfway through development even i was flying out to hollywood to kind of demo the game to people and and kind of talk through our process you know or record the voiceover with the actors or Yes. meet the director of the movies those kind of jobs and every single time i was like i don't know if they're gonna let us do this this feels like that's cheeky uh, it really genuinely wasn't i remember saying that at the premiere in the chinese theater of john wick 3 to the producer saying i don't think this game's actually gonna they're not gonna let us actually make a video game of it's this. not gonna this happen silly um and it wasn't yeah once it was once it was announced i started to believe it once it was like actually kind of a thing that people knew about i started to believe maybe they'd let us just because it'd be embarrassing not to um but yeah so it was it was a really cool process it was it was very strange but i really did i thoroughly enjoyed um working on license like and in the in the new world like back in the day working on license you know wasn't as creative you were working with people who didn't know games working on John Wick, we were collaborating with people who knew video games, who knew what video games could do, and wanted cool John Wick stuff in in video game context. And we could have those conversations and collaborate on something much cooler. So I think 
it definitely opened my eyes to kind of what licensed games could be nowadays if there was like the mutual respect going back and forth um so that was that was really cool it was a fun it was a, f- a really yeah, interesting it makes, project. makes a massive difference for sure yeah it makes a and massive ju- massive difference yeah and uh, what what I am starting to observe just through the entirety of this conversation is uh, just you kind of describing your mindset as you're watching as you're watching John Wick three there. And I think there's this until it was sort of theme starting to go on. Like oh, I don't think it's gonna happen until it did. <laughs> like it's which which is I, really, that's really fair. Yeah, that, that I'm an optimistic skeptic. I give it a go, but I don't ever actually think it's. I'm gonna pull it off. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, it's, it's a good observation. <laughs> so, outside of the actual development work that you do and we're, we're coming mm. close to the, an end of it the type the time we've got so i wanted to focus on some of the other things you do outside of simply the well not simple game creation is anything but simple but outside of the creation of games yeah and it's led to for example you appearing on this show today it's just your social media engagement the way you engage with fans the way you engage with just the world more broadly you're doing some mm. fantastic things for this industry and this is my perspective but i think it's shared by a lot of people you're doing some fantastic things for for the industry in this space from the way you engage people the the regular amas for example which is how we actually managed to strike up conversation to make this show oh, that's but right cool you know in, in a similar sort of way that we we're talking about before where i'm able to point some of my students towards here's someone in the development scene that you can maybe talk to you make yourself very open for people to engage with and you know to pick your brain i think i think that's fantastic mm. what on top of everything you do though that must be it must be a lot how do you try and find the the sweet spot there to ensure that you're not i guess over committing like you're giving back but you're not <laughs> putting you're sacrificing yourself in the process i guess yeah i think I don't know. I don't think I'd cast it as philanthropically as you are. I think it's very generous of you to say that. I don't think that's. I don't think it's a great noble act. I think it's. I think it's honestly just for for me. It's an enjoyable experience. Like I just I get bored on the internet like everyone, and that's an outlet where I can be useful during my boredom. Basically, AMAs exclusively happen when, for whatever reason, I have half an hour where I'm waiting for something. You know. I you know. My my. I think when we first was, spoke, you had a wine in hand, and you said AMA. So it was. It would have. I, I don't. I, I can't remember that specific. But usually, it's like my girlfriend's like, I, I let's watch a movie in half an hour, and I'm like, well, okay, I'll do it. I'll, yeah, and it's a it's a thing to do in a in a gap of time. It's not. And I think that's what makes it work. I think if I was trying, if I I think if I sat down at my computer on Twitter. And was like today I'm going to change the world. I'm going to I'm going to save people. I'm going to help the games industry. I'm going to be a good man. I think that would get very tedious. I think people would probably get quite bored of it. I'm sure many people are bored of me on Twitter anyway. Um, but I think because it's genuinely just a thing I potter with while I'm waiting for something, or you know, if I've got a meeting in ten minutes, I'll waste time on Twitter for ten minutes while I'm waiting for the meeting. Like because of that, it feels more natural and it just feels like engaging. Um, and gen- people. Yeah, it's it's just, it's not it's not a job. It's not at work. It's it's a um, it's just a nice a nice thing to do. I'm very lucky in that I'm treated very well online. Um, that's I think for lots of obvious reasons about who I am and what I look like, and and therefore I don't get the ire of idiots, which is great. I have many friends who those spaces are not enjoyable spaces for, and they're not wrong. It's horrible. Yeah. But I've, I'm, 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 I guess I'm lucky in the sense that people treat me nicely in those spaces, so I can, I can have a good time and try and be useful to the nice people on those spaces in a way that's not available to everyone. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I do that. But it's it's uh, it's yeah, it's not. I don't think it's a heroic act. It's a it's a fun thing for me, and and yeah, I'm I'm glad it helps. I'm glad it's useful because that is the overwhelming desire is just to use be useful. Essentially, is what I'm trying to do when I'm on Twitter. Be useful, to someone, um, or post some. No, that's nonsense. fantastic. I think, and I think lots of people appreciate it. Myself, obviously, for coming on the show, but I think any, anyone who's you know looking to pick your brain, I, I've kind of combed through it once we once we lined up when we were going to be doing this. So I, I went back and took a look at some of those because obviously that's how we connected in the first place. And I thought I'd take mm. a look. At, okay, what other sort of interactions am I having? And they're all they're, they're <laughs> wonderful. And you see you see some people with more day to day fun and games sort of stuff. But then and mm-hmm. you'll see people reaching out like I did. Hey, you want to come on my show? But then you get you get others that are you know trying to pick your brain about sort of game development related things and you're able to share little insights in that bite-sized manner that i'm sure is incredibly valuable for people sometimes it may not be but uh because twitter's a like it's a a hard thing to necessarily convey everything 100 percent the way you want to but um there must be yeah like so many people that have been inspired by some of the things that you've said in those very quick punched out responses that have been really valuable to people and so i think you're doing some fantastic work in that space well that's cool that's cool i mean the intent is well, but isn't that cool? Isn't that? I mean, if if you're right, which maybe you are, I don't know. I'm not outside. I only exist in my own. I brain, hope so. Which is a constant irritation to me. But like, if you're right, then isn't that wonderful? That like I can basically do something pretty low effort, pretty low engagement, like sitting around on messing around on my phone, and if that has value that exceeds, that's a perpetual motion machine, right? If I'm making something that's more useful to someone than the work it took me to make it, then that's really that's a good thing that's a good thing we shouldn't mess with something that's what all the universe is right like that's good that's that's a nice virtuous (laughs) thing it's not it's not the virtue the virtue is not coming from me but it's a lovely byproduct of my boredom that i can be useful maybe that's that's really cool i don't i don't know if i agree with you i don't know if i think it is that useful but i do i hope you're right that would be lovely it sounds great well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I feel like I'm on something. Just looking at the that snapshot of those responses, I think I think there's got to be then. some good coming from this. I'll keep doing it. I'll keep doing it. I'll keep messing around on Twitter. I'll check and see if there's an AMA in the next five minutes after we finish recording. There will be. I'll um, go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as we start to wind things down, hmm. is there anyone out there that really inspires you and in the way you go about your work? Whether it's someone that you've worked with previously, someone that you look at from afar, or or anything like that. I try. I think it's. I think it's dangerous to have heroes for sure. Like I think people, unfortunately, heroes often let you down. So I try not to hero worship other developers. Yeah. Um, I'll say I do have a lot of respect for like uh, a lot of my peers. I think I, you know Rami's Rami Ismail's a good friend and is just very yep. smart and someone who I really kind of look up to um, and enjoy the company of. Um, I really admire the games of Lucas Pope. I think he's kind of. Terry Kavner and Lucas Pope are kind of the two designers who I just absolutely love everything they put out. And that that's kind of, that's a source of inspiration for me. Um, and then I think in terms of like the industry stalwarts, I think probably someone like Tim Schafer is someone I really admire and, and kind of yes. would love to slowly age into. I think that'd be really neat. Um, and I've, I, I really like him as a, as a bloke as well. So, so there's, there's these, there's these, these occasional people. I, like I said, I think it's, I think it's silly to hero worship. I think that's not necessarily super helpful. And it, you never know the, the whole of the kind of all the people who've contributed to someone's success. Um, but th- those are the, those are kind of the immediate names that popped into my head. Um, I think the, the, the other one would be, um, Brenda Romero, who's been like an incredibly yes. kind of generous person to me over the years and given me lots of very good advice. 
Um, but yeah, I think those those people, those are the those are the immediate kind of you know uh, word association. Those are the four names, names popping, that popped yeah. into my head immediately. So yeah. No, I mean they're they're fantastic choices, and your point is a very good one. That you know idol worship can be can be an issue sometimes, but recognizing the the strengths of these people and as you said you know pick and choose like there's you know i like the way this person does this and i like the way this person does that and you kind of draw on parts mm. of that dna and to bring it into your own like that's that's a really valuable thing and that seems sure. that seems like that's exactly what's kind of helped you out in, in many respects yeah what have been i some think i valuable lessons and experiences along the way most valuable lessons along the way Oof. that's a very broad question Is there one that really like sticks out um, I think at a very early age I was told to shut up by a by a by a, a boss. <laughs> and I think that was very valuable. No, I think genuinely though, like I think listening, I think just learning how to listen and listen mindfully and, and pay attention. And it's not something I always get right for sure. Like it's definitely something, you know, that you mess up occasionally, but I think that's that's one that I I took to heart when someone gave me that advice very early on as an idiot. Um, to just if if in doubt, just start listening to everyone around you that, that's usually a good a good step um and I think that was yeah. that was that was important advice to get at 21 22 i needed that that's i mean it's a handy one and uh it's something that <laughs> even myself i feel like i've learned a lot from just with this show because the the sheer nature of it means that mm. you spend a lot of time listening and i think that's that's a lesson that i've really learned a lot about especially as a teacher spent a lot of time talking to mm. slash sometimes at people so <laughs> It's it's one of those things that I think this platform even has helped me to get better at is no, no stop and listen. No, I mean, I'm not just a host of this. I I'm learning from these people uh, from mm. these people I'm having on the show, and it's it's been really valuable in that sense. So that's really cool. Uh, I I'll share the sentiment on the the, the shut up lesson. <laughs> I yeah, and you it's it's one of those like all good advice. Like you obviously can forget it very very often. I definitely not, you know. I definitely don't always get that bit right, but it's 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 a good it's a good goal to strive for, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a couple kind of lighter ones as we as we wrap things up. Mm-hmm. If you could be credited for anything, any game that's ever existed in any capacity, so it could just be as simple as special thanks, for example. But if there's any game that you just wish you could have been involved with in some capacity mm. and be added into the credits retroactively, what game would it be? I think it might be threes. I think that's the one of the last like oh, yeah. ten years. That's a game that I genuinely, massively admire, and 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 kind of secretly believe that I maybe would have been able to come up with as well. Do you know what I mean? Like it's one of those ones. Oh, okay. where, like, I wish I'd I wish I'd designed that. That's a good game. Um, I don't that, That's that. It's an accessible game from like a game development point of view. I'm like I, I believe I, we so yeah. I think that's a really cool thing. Um, so yeah, so probably that one. I'd love to have been involved in that in some way, in some small way, like just been the guy who'd been like, maybe maybe there should be this number of tiles or something. You know, just a small small bit of input on there. I think would have been really fun. Um, but I can't claim anything unfortunately on that one. What's your answer to that question? I'm interested in. Oh, what would um, be the game you'd love to have been? So- I've I've had a few a couple of people ask me that off camera for so I think you might be the first if I recall it's caught me during the show, but it, it's been one of those things I've actually struggled with a little bit because I and I guess because I don't actually spend any time creating games myself, mm. it's one of those things that I, I look at I struggle to look at with anything other than a purely consumerist sort of approach and like so what's mm-hmm. you know, what's my favorite game and my for me my favorite game is Final Fantasy Nine, um, right. Like I'm a JRPG guy from you know little kid in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy Nine when I was a when I was a teen- teenager. It just came along at just the right time that it hit emotionally mm-hmm. hit me in all the right spots. 
So I always want to default to that, but I know I shouldn't in a lot of respects. So uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's a broader conversation here. I, I still struggle to answer that question. I need to come up with a good answer for people. So I'm, I'm going to say Final Fantasy IX for now until I can give a better answer. Fair play. And that's nothing against what Square Enix did. Absolutely not. Uh, again, it's my favorite game, but there is a better answer out there and I just need to get my head around what that is. That's cool. I like that. For now, that's a great placeholder answer. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, last question. If you could, re- again, kind of in that same kind of curly fun sort of path, if you could go back and replay any one game and just strike it from your memory and get to play it again from scratch the first time, what game would it be? Oh, I think it might be Oprah Din. I think I'd love... Oh, yeah, okay. Goes back to Lucas Pope. Lucas I would, Pope. That is the most fun. I'd, I'd have to extend your thing and make it so my partner could also have her memory wiped. Because I remember okay, me and her right. sat and played that for like four hours straight, late into the night, and then had to go to bed and come back and play the rest of it the next day. But I remember just the sense of discovery through that game. It's the, it's the cleverest thing. That was just so much... And so satisfying and just so enjoyable as a collaborative activity of like trying to like help each other and figure things out and oh it's lovely i love that game that was that that's the one that i would play that like every weekend for the rest of my life i could forget it each time um that's beautiful i'm thrilled that you mentioned that and the experience with your partner as well because that was not too dissimilar to my, my own experience where i was sitting down playing it and and my wife kind of knows that like I, I play a lot of things for review or whatever the case happens to be and she walked in and she looked at looked it on the screen and it was that like she she's not as deep into games as I am, but sure. she looked at it and it was that you know judging a book by the cover thing. And she goes, "What on earth are you playing?" And I, <laughs> I kind of gave her a very brief outline and kind of dismissed it at first, but went and got herself a coffee and popped herself on the couch. And within twenty minutes, it was that exact level of interaction you were just describing in your case there, where it was everyone like we were both just transfixed by the whole thing and trying mm-hmm. to pull pull it apart and you know pull it in different directions and try and make it work so that's that's a fantastic mm. choice i'll wholeheartedly support that and had a very similar <laughs> experience from the sounds of it that's cool that's cool so mike thank you very very much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far as as we mentioned before there's some titles that you're working on at the moment that you can't discuss and people can look forward to whenever they might eventually surface we'll, we'll try and da- i'll try and dance away from that because obviously you are, <laughs> your hands are tied there but if people want to learn more about you, uh, interact with you, obviously there's those AMAs. One's going to start five minutes after this recording, so if you're in the right place and time. <laughs> it definitely um, isn't. It's definitely not. I'm quite dumb. <laughs> but, but yes, well, we do. I do them quite regularly, yeah. yeah where, where should people go? <sighs> it probably is Twitter, isn't it? Probably Twitter, at Mike Bithell, uh, M-I-K-E-B-I-T-H-E-L-L. That's probably the place to kind of have a chat with me um i try and reply to most things sent my way if i if i see it um which i don't always see everything because twitter definitely like hides stuff from me there's okay. an algorithm there there's definitely an algorithm they're up to something aren't they um, <laughs> yeah they're, 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 they're playing with us they're messing with they're us. those those scallywags in the twitter i love it um but yeah no it's so uh, that's probably the best and then um yeah we obviously we announce all our games and that via via there as well so you can kind of see what we're up to um but yeah go play some of the games we've made they're quite fun they are fantastic titles and as we've discussed there are more to come so keep your eyes peeled for them when you're in a position to announce them mike as i said thank you very very much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far i really appreciate it yeah it's been great talking to you paul and listeners as always thank you very much for listening i'll see you next time
That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Mike's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.